Hi, welcome to the Your Adrenal Fix podcast, where we help exhausted and burnt out adults learn the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, and I've suffered with my own adrenal fatigue problem, and now I've made it my mission to tell the truth about adrenal fatigue so that we can get to the root cause of your problem and really teach you how to put the puzzle pieces together so that you could tap into your hidden energy reserves and have all day energy. So this podcast is for anyone who's struggling for years or feeling overwhelmed and burnt out or you're just feeling stuck you're going to get cutting edge information from all our different guests in different respected health fields to give you those important tidbits of information so that you can actually act on them and improve your health join us for our podcast i know you will enjoy it All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Your Adrenal Fix, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about their health so that they can get their health back quickly. And I'm really excited to be joined by our our guest, Dr. Andrea Furland. She is a senior scientist at the KIT Research Institute and staff physician at the Toronto Rehab Institute. She specializes in focusing on treatments of chronic pain, including medications, complementary and alternative therapies, and rehabilitation. And I really want to discuss her new book called The Eight Steps to Conquering Chronic Pain, A Doctor's Guide to Lifelong Relief. So, Andrea, Dr. Andrea, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Thank you for inviting me today. Yes. And so I always start the podcast knowing about who we're speaking about and, and why they got into their profession and maybe any health challenges or Per reasons why you got into this area. So maybe you can elucidate why you, you are what you are. Give us some ideas. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so I graduated uh, 30 years ago in medical school in Brazil, Sao Paulo. I Then I immigrated to Canada 25 years ago. And um, I'm a physician here and I work in the pain clinic and all that I do is uh, help people with chronic pain. But what got me into this, I can remember, and it's it's very vivid in my mind because, first of all, I chose medicine because uh, I suffered from menstrual cramps all of my teenage years and young adult, and they were very debilitating, very uh, severe, didn't get better a lot with uh, the conventional uh, medications, got better only after I got pregnant, I got cured after I got pregnant. But before that, they were very debilitating. And every month I knew I was going to miss important things or or had to go do exams and tests, uh, suffering pain. So I chose medicine to help people because I thought, you know, that there there must be something to treat this, help this. And then when I was in medical school, I never heard about physiatry. That's the specialty that I, I chose, physical medicine, rehabilitation. That's the specialty of the person with disabilities. And the reason that I chose physiatry was because um, I was between, you know, neurology, endocrinology. Um, I was thinking about uh, even um, occupational medicine, but I chose physiatry because I remember it was because of acupuncture. I I had a patient that we, I was an intern and we admitted a patient for investigation of her pain. She had pain all over her body and uh, we admitted her so we did all kinds of investigations inside out upside down 
as you probably know, we, we wanted to find something that was abnormal metabolically or endocrine or any problem. And we couldn't, and she had pain all over her body. So when the physiatrist came to the consult, he came with acupuncture needles and he stuck needles on her. Half an hour later, she was walking happy and we discharged her the next day. So then I said, oh my God, what is this? This is voodoo medicine, what did you do? And he explained to me in scientific terms. He said, no, you never heard about the pain system. You never heard about the opioid, endogenous opioids, beta endorphin. I said, no, I never heard about this in medical school. So he taught me that uh, our brain is able to produce our own medicines. And with acupuncture, what they did is just release those medicines from the internal pharmacy in the brain. And I said, I need to know more about this. And that's how I got fascinated by pain and then um, studying the pain system and studying how can we help people with pain all my life. I'm a scientist, so I do a lot of uh, scientific studies as well. And um, yeah, so that's what got me into pain medicine. <laughs> that's excellent. So that was during your, your clinical rotations? Yeah. So you decided after that, I wanted to get into physiatry? Physiatry. And in physiatry, I, you know, physiatry, we learn about a rehabilitation of people with stroke and spinal cord injury, amputations, and a nerve impairment. But I focus on rehabilitation of the person with chronic pain, because I see, I can see how this is so debilitating. And it's an invisible disability that people have nothing to show that is wrong but you still can rehabilitate them and help them to conquer their pain. And that's what I, I've been doing for the last third years since I graduated from medical school. Right. Well, I, I asked you before we got on, how long did it take you to write the book? And you told me about 30 years. So mm -hmm. it's always a lifelong learning. Did you end up doing your fellowship in pain or chronic pain? Is that? Yeah. So when I came to Canada, I did a PhD here at the University of Toronto, and then a fellowship in pain medicine. So I am overstudied <laughs> on sure. the topic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is a good segue into this book that you've written, Eight Steps to Conquering Your Chronic Pain, A Doctor's Guide to Lifelong Relief. So it's a pretty bold statement to say lifelong relief, right? So, um, but with how much you've studied and the way you've categorized the pain and um, and, and all the steps that you need to do. Um, I guess I would ask you first question is, what are the three types of pain? You identify three types of pain and maybe let's springboard from that. Yeah, that's important. That's the basis of uh, the knowledge. Uh, so it's important that people understand because they do receive different treatments depending on what kind of pain the person has. So let me explain there's in terms of uh, an analogy of an alarm system of a house, okay? So the pain system is like the alarm system that you install in your house. It's the alarm to detect danger. If you install an alarm system, you put sensors on the walls for smoke, uh, fire, uh, burglar, breakings, water leak in the basement, etc. And you want them to make noise and alert, send an impulse to the box on the wall, and that box on the wall will activate the office, the central office of the alarm company. And the alarm company will decide, do I send the ambulance, the fire truck, the police to this house? So we have exactly the same thing in our body. We have the pain system. So we have sensors for pain all over our body. 
mostly in the skin, because that's how we communicate with the exterior. We have little, fewer in the organs, internal organs like muscles, heart, guts, and organs. We have fewer, but we do have. And so they, they're there to detect danger. And then they send the signals, the equivalent of the box on the wall, that thing that we have on the wall is the spinal cord. So they all bring these sensations to the spinal cord. The spinal cord will communicate with another neuron but in the spinal cord, a lot of things happen there. That's where central sensitization can happen. So in the spinal cord, you can have a, a block of that sensation. That's the gate control theory that says you can block that sensation from going up to the brain, or you can amplify. Central sensitization will amplify that sensation. But anyway, so when it gets to the brain, the brain is like the, the office of the alarm company. The brain will decide, what do I do with this information? I'm receiving alarm signals from that body part. And um, what do I do? Do I tell the person to stop what they're doing? And then the brain will basically activate our endogenous, our internal on pain suppression pathways, like releasing opioids, the endorphins from our inner pharmacy that we have in the brain, for example. That's what happened to that patient that I mentioned to you when they when he put acupuncture needles on her activated this inner pharmacy in her brain she released a lot of opioids she was fine we know that beta endorphin takes seven days to be broken and 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 finish the action so she should be okay for about seven days better than any pill right no pill of opioid lasts seven days but anyway so Nociceptive pain, neuropathic pain, neuroplastic pain, nociplastic pain. Those are the three types of pain. Sorry that I don't have better terms. <laughs> I didn't invent this. I'm just the messenger here. Don't shoot me. Uh, nociceptive pain is when there is a fire in the house. So you do need the fire truck <laughs> to come and put up the fire. And once the fire stops, the, the alarms go silent. Okay, so if you have a fracture, a toothache, an inflamed ear, you have an inflammation, you have an appendicitis, those are good reasons for you to stop what you're doing, go seek medical care because something is broken. You broke a bone and that's natural to hurt. Uh, neuropathic pain, which is the second type of pain, is when the nerve system that carries this information has some disease. So for example, uh, compression of a nerve, like carpal tunnel syndrome, or a multiple sclerosis that the person loses all the myelin around their nerves, or they have a spinal cord injury, or they have a, a stroke. So those things affect the nerves and the pathways that carry the pain impulse, and the pain is kind of different. It's not the same thing as the first one. The nociceptive pain is more inflammatory, it's localized where the problem is, Neuropathic pain is more burning, tingling, electrical shocks, and it's localizing the area that is innervated by that nerve. That's, those are the two types of mostly acute pain. So those, those two types, they have, happen most acutely because after three months, six months, those injuries, they tend to heal. They, if there was a fracture, the fracture is healed. If there was a nerve compression, the nerve, you know, uh, you use some anti-inflammatory and then the nerve is not compressed. So 
The third type of pain is equivalent, it's nociplastic, that's the name, nociplastic, because it involves plasticity. That is when those injuries have been healed or the problem had been taken care, so they don't have the initial injury anymore, but the system is still making noise. So now the alarm system of the house is malfunctioning. And that's a terrible type of pain because first it's constant, it's very loud. Usually the volume is very loud. So it's usually worse than nociceptive neuropathic and they have nothing to show that it's broken or injured. And they go from doctor to doctor, specialist, they do more MRIs, they get injections, they get opioids, they get surgeries and they don't get better. So you need someone to examine them and say, this is nociplastic pain because we, we can examine now a person and detect that it's the pain system that is provoking. So they're not imagining the pain, the pain is quite real. And uh, it's not in their head, it's not um, emotional, it's not uh, psychological, the pain is quite real. It's just that the origin of the pain is now in the malfunctioning of the pain system, it's not the fire. So the house is not on fire, although that's how they feel, because it's so constant. Yeah, it's a great answer. I love the analogy. I'm big into analogies. And I would imagine that the terminology is relatively new, is it not? Yeah. If that the um, because with specialties, if they are not finding their cause of the problem, and it's a no, uh, it's a, a nociplastic type of generator. Um, I guess the first step in in helping this is in the first step of uh, retraining your pain system. Yeah, is, that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And, and let me tell you something. Um, I, in my experience, most people may have a combination of one and three, two and three, one and two, or all three. Right. <laughs> so that's why they need to be to have a good investigation. And they need to see a doctor to make this diagnosis. So don't try to diagnose yourself. It's not all chronic pains are just nociplastic. There might be something that is wrong that could be treated, but the nociplastic component may be making noise in the background. And then it's so hard for you to find the nociceptive neuropathic if the house, like if the alarm of the house is making a lot of noise and very loud, it's hard for you to know if is there really a fire somewhere here or there. But in a, in a good physical examination and when we talk to the patients, that those kinds of pain become clear. And again, the treatment is different. <laughs> As you just said, the, the, for nociplastic pain, you don't do the same things that you do for acute pain that is nociceptive because they will not work. An example is opioids. Opioids, you know, we are in the middle of here in, in Canada, in the United States, you we are in the middle of a crisis because with so many people who suffer from chronic pain, it's one in five adults that have chronic pain, some type of chronic pain. Physicians want to help them and uh, healthcare professionals, we, we don't wanna see them suffering. So it is easy to prescribe an opioid because if you think, okay, this person has pain, if I give the opioid, I would remove their pain, so why not to give? The problem is if the person has predominantly nociplastic pain, you can make that pain transform into a fibromyalgia spread. Uh, fibromyalgia is a pain that is a spread to the body and that's the poster child of uh, nociplastic pain because we know that the 
the pharmacy, the inner pharmacy in the brain of people with fibromyalgia is not working properly, so they cannot activate those um, opioids, endogenous adequately. They have a lot of central sensitization. And we know that if you give opioids, it's almost like putting gasoline on the fire because you're going to spread and make this pain become more chronic and more nociplastic. So you really need to be careful to whom you prescribe and do interventions like this. Right, and, and I'm glad you've done the work because it really is untangling the, the ball of yarn and pulling out and, and under and uncovering which is the generator. And I guess that's where the difference between chronic and acute pain come in from how the central processing or the plasticity of the brain and the limbic center and the emotions we play on it and how that creates that perfect vicious cycle. So maybe tell us about that and unpack that for us. Absolutely. And you just got it. The vicious cycle is what mainly caused the disability related to chronic pain. Because the person now, they are afraid of the pain. So pain now becomes the stressor in their life. They may tell you, no, I'm not afraid of my pain. I know this is okay. I'll have pain for the rest of my life. But the brain is still being alerted that something is wrong and the brain needs to interpret what is going on when the brain cannot uh, when when the mind can't interpret listen i'm i'm feeling this pain and you're telling me that everything is all right where is this coming from it generates a cascade of events and as you probably know this better than i do it generates all activates the hpa axis and the adrenaline goes crazy, cortisol hormones and stress levels go wild. And then the person just reinforced because they learn it's, it's a lot of our behaviors, almost all of our behaviors are learned behaviors. You learn by practicing. So they learn that, okay, I have pain. So if I don't move, I don't trigger pain and maybe pain is a bad thing. I should not be feeling pain. So if I don't move, I feel less pain. Therefore, I need to move less and do less. So they stop going places. They stop doing things that are normal part of life. And that just creates more sedentary life, more bad nutrition, weight gain, hypertension, depression, sleep problems, because now they have more time to do what? Sleep. <laughs> Sometimes they have time for some of my patients, they take long naps in the afternoon. I take three hours nap in the afternoon and I go crazy. They say, don't do that because that's the best recipe for you to have a very bad quality of sleep at night when you do need a good quality sleep. So the vicious cycle, the fear, behaviors, avoidance, don't move, sleep more, take pills. They like to pop pills because we are in a society that we want quick fixes. They don't want to do a lot of things for themselves. They don't want to take charge of their life. So my book is about lifestyle modifications. You know, that's where I want them to go. Be free to take charge of their life because that, in my opinion, that's the only way that they can be rehabilitated if they start doing things for themselves. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you were blessed with your clinical experience to see that versus 
someone like myself where I was doing a lot of mechanical support for injuries and some people would get better and some people wouldn't. And I, and I realized, well, there's gotta be something else going on. Mm -hmm. And not only just the emotion component, I was fortunate in my second degree to have a psychology degree. So I understood there is a connection, but also just in the metabolic what's going on with this person and what else is going on in their body. And you were fortunate to get that going into it. Um, did that guide you uh, in terms of making more of a clinical decision before you put in the interventions? And I guess that's the question I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> if I understand well your question. So, yeah. yeah so the, we can't separate the mind from the body. That's one thing. If we try to separate them, and if we try to just treat the mind or just treat the body, especially for chronic pain, you, you can't because we have symptoms, physical symptoms that are an expression of an emotion. An example of this is tears. I always tell my patients, tears, you know, right in front of your eyes, we can't hide. We usually, we can hide tears because that's the first place that people look at you. You can have tears of joy, tears of sadness, tears of emotion. So our body expresses. So when we talk about um, our metabolism, when we talk about, and the other thing that I love, uh, a passion of mine is nutrition. I think nutrition is essential for fighting chronic pain, especially chronic pain. We know so much now about nutrition that we didn't know before. And nutrition is so intricated with our metabolism, with our gut bacteria. We are now studying a lot of, uh, you know, the importance of our, you know, all these billions of bacteria that we have in our guts. They do amazing things. They control our mood because of production of serotonin. If you have the right composition of this bacteria, you may have a good you know, pain-free life. But if you have the wrong composition, you may have fibromyalgia. We know this, uh, it's amazing. And then people can do transplant, fecal transplant <laughs> from one person that has a healthy bacteria uh, to another person. So that's another story. But so they, they're all intricated. They're all connected, hormones, diet, um, we can. The problem is, uh, Joel, our medical system is very good at uh, helping people with acute problems. That's what I would say. Uh, here in Canada, we are very efficient in fixing someone who is wrong, like uh, if there's an injury, let's do surgery. If there's a fracture, let's cast and bye-bye. But when a person has a recurrent chronic disease, the system is not prepared for these people and, and the system gets overwhelmed and we have a primary care providers, family doctors, nurse practitioners who have five minutes with each bill. How can I expect them to do, you know, a full assessment of all of this in five minutes? So I, I feel for those patients who need a full assessment and deserve a, a full assessment, but sometimes it's really hard to get. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about it in this aspect, because I don't think the mind-body connection in traditional medicine is, is typically appreciated, as well as nutrition. And I do see that the tides are changing and the medicine 3.0 is hopefully coming in. And it, what I'm surprised about, Andrea, is the fact that 
it, it, it sort of takes the PM and our physiatry specialty to really lead the charge. Uh, maybe you can segue into what are the eight steps, because I don't think the eight steps would just be uh, applicable to chronic pain per se. It'd be applicable to chronic illness or chronic anything that's chronic in nature, because those th eight fundamentals are really applied across all spectrums for more chronic like presentations. So maybe mm -hmm. give yeah, us a, a, yeah. And the way that I chose the steps and uh, I lie them down, you know, they, they are like steps climbing a mountain, conquering a mountain. And the ones that I put at the base of the mountain are the ones that I think if people do those first, it puts them in a much better position to do the other ones that I asked them to do later in the mountain. So I started with the first step is retraining the pain system. And how do you, you know, retrain the pain is not rocket science. Uh, you know, this is quite simple. It is first learning that you have a pain system, learning that there is a possibility that your pain, your pain is nociplastic and you need the same way that you form those synapses in the plasticity, you can undo them. So you can kind of uh, undo those synapses and disconnect that alarm system of the house that is going rogue just because it is, you know, making noise. And once you stop that, you can now listen. Okay, uh, the nociceptive pain is there. Okay, the neuropathic pain is there and go treat that thing. So that takes the noise out of the house. So that's the first step. And how do you do this? There are many different, I don't have time here to explain to your audience all the possibilities. But one example is yoga, because yoga involves mind and body. Usually it's mind and body exercises, breathing exercises, activation of the parasympathetic nerve system, uh, going for a walk, meditation, mindfulness, those kind of things are excellent to retrain the pain system. The second step is your emotions. So I talk about control your emotions, but that's more like know your emotions and know that emotions have an influence on your body, on your pain. Because if you, if you deny that emotions, no, my pain is not affected by my emotions, we have a problem because they do <laughs> and you not acknowledging that makes it's hard for me to help you to because if we can help you know that stress reaction the problem that you had with your husband you know the situation with your family the financial situation the angriness the frustrations that you have they affect you they're affecting your pain if you if you don't take that out of the equation, I can't get in to help you with the other kinds of pains. So then we talk about sleep. Uh, sleep is extremely important. We talk about nutrition. We talk about exercises. We talk about medications. One of the steps higher on the mountain is how do you use medications? How do you talk to your physician about your pain and your pain medications? Do you know what medications you are taking? You know what they are for? The other step also is people around you. You need to learn how to communicate with them because we now have a lot of evidence that the context where the person is affects their suffering from pain. So you, I'll give an example. So you probably heard that um, when people come to a pain clinic, we ask them to give a number to pain. Zero is no pain. Ten is the worst pain at all <laughs> that you can ever imagine. When people give a score like seven, eight, nine, ten, 
it doesn't have a, and this is for chronic pain, maybe not for acute pain. For chronic pain, it doesn't have a correlation with how much injury or lesion is in the body. What they are telling us is how much they're suffering from that pain. If they say, my doctor, my pain is a nine out of 10, it's they're suffering a lot and they're feeling, they're feeling that weight. It's like, I can't live in this house anymore. It's driving me crazy because it's so loud and it's all the time and nobody can hear. They think I'm crazy. The context, the, the social context that the person leaves can make the pain better or worse. That's suffering. So for example, in laboratory, they change it. Who is around the person with chronic pain? So if they bring a, a person with a smile, a empathy, a nice, kind person, that suffering decreases. So the person in laboratory, they will say, oh, my pain is not so bad. It's a three, four, five. But if they show a video or pictures of angry people and people who are nasty and, you know, saying horrible things and treating kids badly, they will, they will say, oh, my pain is seven, eight, nine. So changing the color, they did this in laboratory. They showed red colors to people with pain. Red reminds us of fire ambulance of danger blood so they rated their high their pain higher they show blue colors reminds of sky ocean peace and they they report less so the context around us can increase this suffering or decrease the suffering so we need to be mindful of that because if someone comes to me and say i'm having a nine out of ten pain am i tempted to give them an injection a surgery uh, an opioid pill, yes, because I, and they're crying in front of me and they, they're really suffering. But if I know that the context where their life is, they feel they're alone, they're lonely, their kids, they don't talk to their kids for 20 years, they don't have any friends, they lost their job. <laughs> you see the difference. So their nine out of 10 is a consequence of what's going around them. And the last step in the book, the eighth step is once they get to the top of the mountain, their goals, living their life. This is something that people can't believe that they can do. Conquering the mountain doesn't mean that the mountain is gone, that it's going to disappear. The mountain is still there. So your pain may still be there, but you conquered. Means your pain is in the back side of your life. It's not controlling you anymore. You can live your life. You can meet your goals. You can enjoy your life. Your life doesn't need to stop because you have chronic pain. It is possible to do this. People, sometimes they don't believe. And that's why I have a lot of testimonials and stories in my book, because I've seen this in my 30 years of experience. I've seen many people who tell me, Dr. Furlan, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> I came here to discharge you because I still have my chronic pain, but it's really not bothering me anymore. I'm not suffering from it anymore. I have my tools. I know how to handle a flare up and they are prepared to tackle the next mountain, which could be a cancer. It could be another chronic disease, depression. It could be another episode, another different kind of pain. So, but they now are more resilient. That's what I, I hope people can achieve.
Yeah, it's wonderful. I, I I'm really moved by the 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 body of research and the the information that you're bringing. I, I, I'm reading Peter Atia's book right now and talking about the 3.0 in in medicine and how we get people to live with their their illness but not die from it and increase their health span. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. I found that to be true as well with our patient base. Is I'll ask them okay, not that I have a magic wand, but if I did and we were able to achieve what we wanted to achieve, what would that look like? And all of them or a lot of them are, oh, I I don't give myself permission. I'm not there yet. Um, I don't even think about it. I don't even know. And I think that's part of the reason we don't wait until we're ready before we do it. We have to have that mindset in before we go into it. But I like that it's in the mountain of the hierarchy as well. I guess the question would be to you, Andrea, is how does this fit into the model that's not quite there yet? How, how especially with other specialties, I mean, I could see with chronic pain uh, and people that are presenting, um, but how does it change up how services provided. I mean, it's great that you have this book and this resource and people could do it on their own. But if doctors or the healthcare system, depending on what country you're in and third party reimbursement aren't necessarily for or against whatever, I guess, what's the utopia of this? How do you see this fitting in? I thought about this and I have an answer. (laughs) Because I had the same thought. I said, I, I think, Joel, the people that are best equipped to help these patients with chronic pain to apply these eight steps are not healthcare professionals. Are other people, peers, who have conquered their own mountains. So let me back up a little bit. You need a, you need a good physician or healthcare professional to make the diagnosis and tell you this is the type of pain you have. You have nociceptive, neuropathic, nociplastic, one of the three or two or three. Make the diagnosis, be there if they need an injection, if they need a a surgery, if they need a prescription, you are available to them. But I don't think the professionals, especially doctors, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, we are so busy. We need to train peers, people who had conquered the chronic pain mountain to take these people by the hand and coach them up the mountain. That's my philosophy. That's where I would like to go. And there are many peer peer groups here in Canada. I hope in the United States, you also have those. But in United here in Canada, we do have associations and I do mention them in my book in the resources. I have links to those many of those uh, groups in United Kingdom, in Canada, and they have, people can affiliate with them and uh, start going to those meetings. They usually are in group, but some of those uh, people, they also do one-on-one sessions. But I think this is the model that would be best, in my opinion, because I would like to be coached by someone who had the experience. I'd like to see them as a role model for me. If I have a disease, I say, okay, tell me where to go, how do I go? How did you do on this day? How, what did you think when this was so hard for you to do? And actually, that's what a lot of groups here in Canada, they are using my book to discuss in those groups. So I hope uh, we'll have many more people to, to be coaching their peers. 
Yeah, no, it's great. And I think you think it's possible that with the intake and part of the diagnosis criteria that you have sort of alerts to know that there are some yellow, I won't call them red flags, but yellow flags with all of these. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. They, so they need a checkup with their healthcare professionals regularly, you know, because maybe during this pros- process that you are trying to conquer your mountain, maybe there is a thyroid that now is out of work and you need to treat the thyroid or you need a, or you develop a rheumatoid arthritis and you do need treatment for that. So they are not immune to have a nociceptive neuropathic pain, but if everything is okay, you know, checkups with your healthcare professionals to make sure you are uh, still, you know, okay to continue doing those steps because those steps are lifestyle. And you don't need a healthcare professional to teach you to eat well, to sleep well, to exercise, to socialize, to get out of your comfort zone, to talk about your emotions, to do journaling, meditation, mindfulness. You can do this with people who are not in the healthcare field. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's spoken from someone who knows how the system is run and not necessarily going to knock over the, you know, the, the Goliath of, of the medicine world. But I would say that it would be nice if it was aligned to support them in, in those areas. Um, but you know what, the bottom line is it comes down to the patient, right? I mean, the patient, I think you and I would agree that the majority of them don't want to feel this way, if not all of them, and they really are looking for solutions and they're not crazy and they haven't been given the proper insight from everything that they've been doing. And this is a fantastic research resource to be able to look into and say, hey, there's more lifestyle, emotional um, responsibility. And I have it written down here, actually, fear of pain equals disability, confident and activity equals recovery. I think that kind of sums it up right there. So awesome information. I was really impressed with the book, Andrea. Um, I always like to ask my guests, uh, sort of winding down here, wh- what do you wish you would have known? Because the title of our podcast is Your Adrenal Fix and teaching adults that are exhausted and burnt out uh, that if they would have had some kind of pain generator acute, they would have been headed towards that, that chronicity. What would you have told your younger self that you wish you would have known then that you know now that might have accelerated your learning curve or given you wisdom prior to having to go through the growing pains, but what would have been some words of advice you would have told yourself? Yeah, so, so many advice that I could give myself, my younger self. I, I would say when we see people with chronic pain, I think in my early years, I may have uh, think that I could fix everybody and uh, here I am, I just graduated, I know all of the science, I did a PhD and I got a degree, so let me fix you. <laughs> I think I tried uh, with many of my patients initially, let me do this acupuncture, let me do this injection, let me do this. But I, knowing now, I am much less, I'd say, um, confident on myself that I can fix someone. <laughs> I, probably because... Um, I, I see people that they fix themselves and they once they make that change in their mind and I I don't know really if it was something that I said or something that they read anywhere they change their life they approach their life and the pain differently 
they change in front of my eyes. And, and it could be like a, they made a change to eating healthier because they realized that eating junk processed food was not getting anywhere. Another person could be, you know, my sleep is a mess and I will take care of this. When they come back to me, they are different people. They are more awake, they are more talkative, they're happier. So for each person is a different, but I think I lost my, <laughs> my pride that uh, I can fix them, I can help, I can teach them everything I know, but a lot of uh, chronic pain people, they have the answers inside of themselves. So I just need to let them know that there are these possibilities and um, they need to do the majority of the work, not me. Well, that's a great answer. I mean, you know, the root of the word doctor is to teach, right? And I think when the student is ready, the teacher mm -hmm. will appear. And I think, you know, I always ask that question with a little bit of hesitancy, because had you not gone through that learning curve and that smack in the head of you're not going to fix them all, you wouldn't have written this book to be able mm -hmm. to give them the power to see this teacher to help the student learn. So I think this is your way of helping to uh, mold the 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 beautiful artist inside the body that's ready to come out when they're when they're looking for it so kudos for you um the book is called eight steps to conquering your chronic pain uh, it's a doctor's guide to lifelong relief and uh you can find it wherever books are sold and you also wh where is other places i mean you got a beautiful silver um youtube thing behind you so where can they find you and get more information if they already don't know who you are yeah, so uh, I do have a YouTube channel. It's my name, dr.andreaforlan. And I have a website uh, that is dr, D-O-C-T-O-R, andreaforlan.com. And there they have links where they can order the book. But as you said, everywhere where books are sold, they can find the book. And my channel is just my name on YouTube. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I thank you for your contributions and I look forward to hearing about future successes. So thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me and talk to your audience today. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of your Adrenal Fix podcast, where our goal is really to teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their energy back quickly. And if you happen to be suffering with your own exhaustion and fatigue-based problems and you're not getting answers and you're frustrated and you're concerned and you really want to get back to the things that you're not able to do, then maybe it's time for you and I to book a discovery call. If that makes sense to you or what we talked about makes sense to you, then this is an opportunity for you and I to troubleshoot and figure out what's going on in your body, what's not working, what have you tried, how's it impacting you. Most importantly, figure out where you want to go with your health and why you're not able to bridge that gap. And if I feel I can help you and all the things that you need to be doing, I can recommend to you, I'll let you know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you that too. But my goal is for you to leave this call with a step-by-step -step game plan to learn how to bridge that gap and get your life back quickly. If I feel I can help you, I'll tell you what that will look like to work together. However, there's no obligation to do any further work and there's no charge for the call whatsoever. It's just really a one-on-one -on -one time for you and my team member or myself to get true value out of what's not working with your health and what are you missing in order for you to make that next step. If that makes a lot of sense to you, then go ahead and go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com, all one word, adrenal fatigue 
www.spacingisbigworkshop.com forward slash apply. Now spacing is limited and it's a first come first first served basis and you have to be willing to to make that next step to get your health back or at least be serious about it if we feel we can help each other just go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply and i look forward to giving you value and getting you your health back